Hello and welcome back to the Future is Bilingual podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Today's interview is with Yoshito, who you might also know as Multilingual Dad on Instagram. He's a multilingual parent, a teacher, and soon-to-be author. His new book is coming out in early May, and it's for parents of multilingual children to help their children learn how to read and write in their home languages in fun, engaging, and meaningful ways. So if that sounds like a topic that's interesting to you, make sure you go find him on Instagram, contact him, and he'll send you the first chapter of the book to get an idea. You can also come join us Friday, April 30th at his book release party, which is happening 6 p.m. UK time. So again, if you just write to Yoshito, he will get back to you with all the details. Let's get to the episode. Welcome, Yoshito, to The Future is Bilingual. Very excited to welcome you here. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. So a bit about myself. I'm half French, half Japanese. I grew up in France. Uh, I lived my whole life in France until I was 23. That's the first time I came to England. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and since then I live in England. So I I was raised bilingual, French, Japanese, and actually spoke Japanese first until I was about three years old. My dad, who is French, was also speaking to me in Japanese. Oh, uh, that's awesome. But then I was starting to speak better than him. So I got frustrated that he wouldn't understand me. And then he switched to him French and my mom was saying Japanese because she's Japanese. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and so now- So you guys did the, yeah. you did a minority language at home until three yeah. and then yeah. switched to Opal. Yeah. Quickly, yeah. as a parent now of multilingual kids, is that, did you, do you think that's a good method? Do you think, what do you think of the way that your parents did that? I think it's good. Like it definitely gave me like a good uh, exposure to Japanese early. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because when I went to school, it was all in French. So I guess it compensated a lot. And so I would say minority language at home, if one of the two parents is speaking the community language, has probably a lot of more chances to be successful. Yeah. Uh, but after they were doing open, I still managed to speak quite well Japanese mm-hmm. so I guess both works that's great yeah and but what we do with our sons uh, so I have two sons who are five and seven mm-hmm. and so they were born in Korea but they arrived in in England very quickly after a few months oh were you all in Korea were you and your wife were in Korea so my wife just went to Korea because uh, it was the first time that she was giving birth and having family around was quite important mm-hmm. and a bit more reassuring. So she went to Korea and I was still working uh, in England so uh, as a teacher. And I was hoping that he would be born during the holidays. He, he started showing signs a bit like two weeks before the holidays. Oh, so no. I took the plane. <laughs> I arrived on time for the birth. Oh, good. Uh, oh, my gosh. My, Second son, he was um, planned to arrive. He was due to arrive in August, mm-hmm. so in the middle of the summer holidays. Perfect. Um, yeah, so it was fine. But so you were at both births. You took a, you just took a plane to Korea. Yeah. And was okay. And how long did you get to stay? I'm so I never heard this story, so I'm so fascinated. <laughs> so uh, for my so in England, uh, we have two weeks of paternity leave. Uh, so when my son 
showed sign it was uh, the holidays, like we had a week of holiday. Perfect. So instead of leaving uh, after, oh yeah, I got mixed up in my story, but yeah, he, he arrived in, he started to arrive in May, uh -huh. 28th of May, and I got the plane. I arrived on the 29th and he was born on the 1st of June. Wow. So he took a lot of time. Yeah, the first usually is <laughs> yeah. slow. And after that, I, I was able to stay for two weeks uh, in Korea. Then I came back in England. My mm. wife stayed with her family and I joined them again during the summer. So during mm. the summer holidays. Yeah, so then we spent two months together and we came back all together. Wow, what a story. That's so, I mean, that's great for your wife. I feel like that's really comforting to be around your family and around just familiar, you know, giving birth is such a weird, scary experience. So Because in England, we're on our own. So we don't have any family around. And... Yeah. Well, it's quite difficult. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can imagine. And what was that hard for you, though, to be the only one back in England when the new baby was in Korea and your wife is in Korea? Yeah. Were you sad during that, that time? Sad, yeah. And also, I, I started connecting with him. Uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want him to forget me. Yeah. And so I remember I, because of the time difference, when he would be awake, I would probably be in school or it would be the night. Right. So I remember I, I recorded some stories uh, for my wife to play Aww. when she would be awake. Mm -hmm. And whenever I had a chance, I would just uh, speak to them on, on the phone, like yeah. with the video. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That voice yeah. connection is so important, though. Yeah. They hear it in utero. They know your voice already, which is so amazing. But that must have been challenging for you to be away. But you yeah. got some sleep, so <laughs> not <laughs> yeah, all true. bad. Okay, so tell us more about yourself. So Japanese was so, strong, French, obviously, you learned, and yeah. you you don't remember having any problems. Your mom didn't say it was, no, or your mom uh, or dad never said it was hard to introduce French to you? No, I don't even remember speaking Japanese to my dad. I, for, for me, I always spoke to him in French. But they told me that when I was a baby, so mm -hmm. the three, I used to speak in, in uh, Japanese to him. And yeah, I started going to school at two and a half years old. Mm -hmm. But from what I, I've been told, I didn't really struggle with like, blending in and mm -hmm. making friends. Yeah, other than that, so we are four in the family. And mm -hmm. so I, I'm the French one. My wife is Korean, 100% uh, Korean. How did and you meet? So we, we met in France. So she went to France to do uh, part of her studies. And mm -hmm. uh, we met there at a party. And then I went to London. She was in Paris. We stayed in touch. And then I went to Paris for my studies. And that's when we got together. And, that's yeah. great. And the rest is history, as we say. And then how did you decide to move your family to England rather than staying? in France. So I'm assuming your wife speaks French, right? Yeah. She was doing studies in France. Yeah, yeah. So she would have preferred to stay in France, but so I wanted to become a French teacher. So teaching French as a foreign language. Mm -hmm. uh, originally, I wanted to do it in France, but there isn't much work and it's not well paid. Yeah. So I thought it's much better to be a, a language teacher or foreign languages mm -hmm. uh, in another country. And I had come quite a few times to England, 
I liked it. So I thought, yeah, why not? And I started mm -hmm. looking for courses. Uh, and there was one that had a dual diploma with a university in Paris. Wow. And that's why I went to Paris. And my wife was working there in Paris at the time. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And then because it was easier for me to get a job uh, in England, and mm -hmm. because of the training, we decided to come to England. And also the training for teachers in England is way better than what we have in France. Really? So yeah, in England, so you do a P so something called a PGC, mm -hmm. um, which is the equivalent of a master's degree. And you study a few days at university and the rest of the time you are in school, so in placements. Yeah. So in the whole year, you, you're in placements, you're teaching classes, you have mentors. So it's really like you learn with your mentors and you have some theory in school at university. Right. But in France, it's mostly theory. And <laughs> uh, because there are lots not of surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. The French love their theory and not yeah. so much practical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, with the budget cuts, I heard that the number of time they spent in, uh, like the time that they spent in, in schools is really reduced. And I don't know how much they have now, but it's probably something like a couple of weeks. Wow. So that's so, that's yeah. terrible. Yeah, we had to do a whole year of practicum, I think, or was yeah. it a semester? But I, yeah, when I did my master's of teaching, it was a long time that we were full-time teaching. Like I had classes, yeah. you know, five days a week. <laughs> And then yeah. I would just have my night classes at the university for the masters. Um, oh, at night, wow. Well, like evening, like, you know, after our yeah. school gets out really early, our schools end at 2.15. So uh, like at 4, 4.30, 5, 6, like those, um, they would start a little bit later. So I think that's, it's super important. Um, we're both yeah. teachers. So, you know, you have to have that experience. If you come to the classroom, you just, you can get over a lot of the stumbling blocks when you're under a mentor and, yeah. you know, there's just, it, you have that whole year of experience or that whole, however long, um, yeah. couple months versus, you know, being done with your master's thinking you got it. They throw you in the classroom and you're just drowning. You're like, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing here. Because you, so. you might have all the knowledge about your subject, but if you don't know how to deliver it exactly. or even how to manage a class, it's mm -hmm. like, I remember when I, so before I decided to become, to, to train to be a teacher, I was a language assistant mm -hmm. and I really liked the class and I said, can, can I try to teach? And I had no experience mm -hmm. and they say, yeah, yeah, the class likes you and we'd be great. And I could really think that even if they were like a really perfect class, uh, when I was trying to deliver, whenever I was speaking, they were, I could feel the, the connections with the students and as soon as I stopped, it would drop mm -hmm. and I could feel this connection dropping all the time. And that's where I really realized, okay, being a teacher is not just giving knowledge. You have, no. <laughs> there is a way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so much more than just having knowledge in your head and making a PowerPoint presentation or yeah. giving a long lecture. So now what do you teach? What are your, what is your so job? So I teach uh, French and uh, Spanish in a secondary school. Uh, yeah, I've been doing that for about 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. How did you learn Spanish? I learned it. So I first learned it in school uh, for three years. I didn't really enjoy it. So I, at first I found it interesting to learn new words, et, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't 
really see the point of it. And I, and it got more and more difficult. And because I wasn't really enjoying it, I wasn't really putting much effort. Mm -hmm. So then I was like managing, but not really enjoying it. And after yeah. three years, I had the chance, like the opportunity to drop the language. So I dropped it. Mm. And when I went to university to train as a teacher, as I wanted to go to England to teach, they told me, but you need two languages. So which languages do you know? except English. I said, but I know French and Japanese. So yeah, Japanese is good, but not many schools will want Japanese. So do you know any other language? And I said, mm -hmm. I did a bit of Spanish in school. So they said, if you do a, a crash course, uh, mm -hmm. so they had a partnership with the university. If you do a crash course with this university, we take you on, so on the PGC course. Nice. Uh, so I had a three month of intensive uh, Spanish. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I went to, to Spain to Santiago de Compostela. Oh. I really enjoyed it. That must have been fun. Yeah, so that's where I really started to enjoy Spanish, mm -hmm. trying to get myself understood in a language that I wasn't really fluent in. <laughs> and I saw this as challenging but fun. Mm -hmm. Not like in school where I just found it challenging and not seeing the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. There, and, there was a, a goal in mind. You had a concrete idea of what you could actually do if you had this yeah. language. Mm -hmm. It was like really, I was in the situation where I had to get myself understood. And yeah, so then I could speak more or less Spanish then. Mm -hmm. and, but then I improved a lot by teaching it as well. So because in class, I really tried to do 100% in Spanish. That's great. Um, so all the things I say in class, I can say them really fluently. Yeah. So whenever I'm observed, people say, wow, you're so fluent in Spanish. And then as soon as we start talking about something else, they realize that, okay, yeah, his Spanish is okay in class, but. That's such a funny point and it's so true. So I also taught French and Spanish for about five years at a high school before my daughter was born. And I yeah. had a similar experience where my major was always French. Um, I had actually wanted to do Spanish in high school and my mom and dad uh -huh. were like, don't start Spanish. You don't speak French fluently. You're going to get confused. They're very similar. Uh, okay. So they, they discouraged me from taking Spanish. And then in uh, college, they said, oh, you don't know any Spanish. You can't do a minor because I thought, oh, I'll major in French, minor in Spanish. And they said, you have no level. It only counts at the hundred level, not the zero level for the minor. So I didn't oh, have wow. time. I wouldn't have had time to fit in all the classes to catch up to get the six classes for the minor. So then I couldn't minor in Spanish. Um, so I had this whole long journey of, you know, trying to do Spanish. I still took Spanish at college, but it never counted for anything. Um, yeah, okay. And then finally, when I went to get jobs, they were like, well, French is good, but we're, we're losing French classes. So we need more Spanish teachers. So oh. Spanish is way more popular in the US, just given the situation, even though we're five hours from Montreal and, 25 hours from the tech, the, you know, maybe more. We're like very far from the Texas and Mexico border, but doesn't matter. Um, we have a lot of Spanish immigrants, more than French immigrants. So, or Spanish speaking, I should say, Hispano Hablante. Anyway, so I had to do the same thing where I had to, you know, study it to pass the test, to get jobs, because a lot of the jobs are dual language. So French and Spanish okay, yeah. or just Spanish, but that, you know, obviously that wasn't what oh, I was wow. going for. Yeah, so then I had to pass a test. I went to Costa Rica. And then we ended up making that our honeymoon. So I went for two weeks ah. by myself. And then my husband met me and we stayed and we traveled 
um, nice. afterwards. But yeah, it was like the same thing. Like, okay, now make take a trip, you know, make it real. And I just remember getting to my host family's house and like, oh my God, I have to actually use all these words. Words I didn't really know, like, I don't know, pillow. I mean, I knew them, but like now I have to actually like put them in context and yeah. get myself understood by these natives. And, but yeah, like same with, same as you, like my, my Spanish is never going to be as strong as my French just because I've studied it so much longer. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a native like you, but it was still, I started it all through middle school, high school got all my degrees in French and Spanish is just like on the side as a necessary, like it's like a necessity. Like I not, okay, no, yeah. I don't have to, but it helps me find a job. Yeah. And yeah, so I can do this. I can do classroom Spanish. Like, oh yeah, that's fine. Like, you know, say, da, da, da. Abren los libros, blah, 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 all that stuff that you have to say to students. But then it's like to have a conversation about global warming. And I'm like, oh, so many <laughs> words. <laughs> I have yeah. to look these words up. I don't know. Because I don't yeah. teach the high levels. I don't know about you. I taught um, our levels are from one to AP and AP is the advanced placement. It's basically college level in high school. Uh, okay, so yeah. I taught French one to AP. I taught all levels and I would teach Spanish one and two. So that's uh, like, you know, Spanish one is basic. And then in two, we get like past tense uh indirect direct objects like celo whatever celo d um like but it's not it's not very advanced so it's not subjunctive it's not all those exciting topics that you can finally talk about once you know more spanish so i feel the same way it's like i can kind of use it but kind of not i i need to work on it but but it's yeah, there <laughs> but i feel like so spanish is probably for me the only language i'm really progressing in Oh, because I have yeah. to keep up to date and I have to, so now, I've, so I, I teach from students who are 11 to 16. Mm -hmm. And so when they're 14, they have to choose an option. So when they get to the two last years, it's a lot higher. Mm -hmm. And so I have to talk about lots of different topics, mm -hmm. but because I had to do that, I had to prepare myself and that's what helped me improve and I think I've been teaching these levels for maybe four years now mm -hmm. yeah four years so but I'm still learning every year yeah but it's all about using it so yeah like I haven't used Spanish for two years because I've been home with my daughter and my, my son um, but when I was doing it every day and I was creating my lessons and then speaking with the students and speaking with my colleagues it was so different the environment was just conducive to keep learning and now it's like I'm home. We listen to a few nursery rhymes because I do a an online thing for French and Spanish, ah, but like okay. nothing more than singing some basic songs for yeah. you know two-year-olds. <laughs> so <laughs> my level is like plummeted. It's pretty bad, but it's a phase, right? <laughs> I can get out of it I can, when I have more time. But we come back like, as soon as you start using it, we come back. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Espero que sí. Yeah, for me, the, the languages I started to lose are more so definitely Japanese mm. because I rarely use it now. So until I was 18, I was going to a secondary school so and high school mm -hmm. uh, where I had lessons in Japanese as well. And then I was using it every day. Uh, when I was going home, I would speak Japanese to my mom. I had friends who were Japanese. Mm. I would travel like every two years to Japan. And wow. after that, once I started going to university, and so until 23, so when I left France, mm -hmm. I was 
I didn't have anything in, at university. I was just speaking to my mom in Japanese and I was giving uh, French tuitions to Japanese children. Mm -hmm. So then I could practice and I was speaking to the family as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but since then, I haven't spoken Japanese at all. Like some weeks, I don't speak at all Japanese. Mm. So I'm losing it a lot. Like when I speak to my uh, sister-in-law, so my brother is married to a Japanese woman mm. and she just speaks Japanese. She doesn't speak, she speaks a little bit of English, but like, wh why would I speak English with her? Yeah. So <laughs> I speak Japanese. But I can see that there are loads of basic things that I, I forgot. Mm -hmm. At least you have someone in the family, so you can yeah. keep, keep practicing. Your mom probably yeah. loves that too. Yeah, because she, yeah, she said that, for example, when she speaks with her grandchildren, mm -hmm. so there are my two sons, and now my brother just had a, a son as well. Mm -hmm. uh, he's seven months old. Uh -oh. But before she used to say, oh, it's a bit of shame I can't speak my my own language to my grandchildren mm. and so because the way she speaks in French is not uh, is not as natural as she would do it in Japanese of course yeah. especially you know when you speak to to babies or children there are words or ways of saying things that are really proper to children yeah. that you don't use with adults and <laughs> she doesn't have or she forgot loads of this vocabulary mm. so I can see that anything that's that comes on naturally like uh, oh, be careful, or something she has to say very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's in Japanese. And then she's oh. oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Oh, <laughs> so she didn't want to, like, did you guys talk about her speaking Japanese to the boys? Was there a discussion around that? A little. She could have been the Japanese-speaking grandma, no? Yeah. So I think until about a year ago, a year and a half ago, I was just doing things from what I thought. I didn't really research anything about how to raise bilingual, multilingual children. Mm -hmm. um, I was just doing it by instinct with my own experience. Mm -hmm. And and so one thing I thought was that you have to use one language to speak to your child. You can't teach more than one language. And mm -hmm. um, that's what I thought. And so when I it came to uh, deciding which language I would speak to my children, it was obvious for me that it would be French because I was much more fluent in French. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Then when I started looking on in different uh, Facebook groups, I started to see that people actually speak different languages and there are different ways to raise multilingual children. You don't have to have one parent, one language. And all these things that became much more clear to me and so by the time I learned about these things, we had a routine already established and they know that my mom just speaks French. Mm. Um, so it's very speak... hard to change when you've already got yeah. a whole routine and the kids are older. It is, it's definitely tough to change. But they, they know she, she is Japanese and so she bought some Japanese books mm -hmm. and whenever she comes over, she would read some Japanese uh, stories to them. So she would read and then translate uh, in French. Mm -hmm. And then there were cartoons as well that were Japanese and also dubbed in Korean oh, that nice. they know. And that, so for example, over Christmas, what we've done is we tried to do as many activities we could together, but at a distance because of COVID. Mm -hmm. right. So one of the things we've done is 
choose a cartoon. So Doraemon is a Japanese cartoon mm -hmm. that already also exists in Korean. So ah. my sons would be watching the cartoon in Korean and my mom in Japanese on her side. And then we would comment on it. Uh, and sometimes I would ask my mom, what did they say? I did not understand because it was- Oh, you're Korean. watching the Korean one. <laughs> yeah, because I was with my sons. Yeah. So yeah. And so there, there, there are a few things like that that they share with my mom that all like about the Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. and I taught them a bit of Japanese as well. I thought my mom, because she said she would have loved to speak her own language to her to her grandchildren, mm -hmm. I thought I could just teach them a few words uh, to play a bit in Japanese. So mm -hmm. they know a few words, but they can't really communicate about everything in Japanese, just mm -hmm. a few tiny expressions here and there. Yeah, but you've planted seeds. It's never, you know, it's never yeah. too late to, you know, who knows, maybe they'll want to take off with Japanese later. Yeah, you know. yeah that, that's that's really the what I had in mind at the beginning. I thought I would speak French to them, but let them know that they're also Japanese. Mm -hmm. And so present them some, like, for example, I talked about cartoons I, I watched when I was a child. Mm -hmm. when I went to Japan or my best friend in Japan was doing this etc so they they hear all these stories so they know yeah. that I am partly Japanese and I have Japanese in me as well mm -hmm. uh, and I want to transmit that to them so not just them thinking they were just Korean and French but understand that they have some Japanese in them as well mm -hmm. so I share stories like we have an ancestor who's a samurai so, oh. <laughs> they must love that yeah but when when I, I explained that they didn't know what it was mm -hmm. it was a, a school project originally they had to to find out a story about their their families mm -hmm. uh and so my son asked so told me oh we have to find a story so and then he had to to embellish it to make it like a legend I said you know what we have a Japanese samurai a Japanese ancestor who was a samurai and he yeah. said, what's a samurai? So I showed him pictures on, yeah. on the internet. And he was like, wow, that's so cool. And yeah, that must have blown his little mind. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so that is really cool. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's definitely stuff that will stay with them, you know. Yeah. All of the stories. That's so wonderful. I think you know, so even if it's not too much about the language, but at least they feel Japanese as well. Yeah. And well, there's so much with culture. I mean, obviously, yeah. language and culture are so intertwined, but there's so much cultural knowledge that's not you can still get it even if you don't speak the language you know we talk yeah. about bilingual but there's also bicultural multicultural and you can do a lot of cultural things even not using the language so they've got that nice mix all right tell us more because we didn't ex you know explicitly say what is the situation with your two boys what <laughs> languages sorry. what did, what did they start speaking first because you guys have all these languages so at the beginning we were just so my son so started with my eldest he wasn't going to school, uh, obviously, so he mm -hmm. was at home with my wife, so mainly Korean in his environment. And I was here in the evening on the weekend with French. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was minority language at home, so just French and Korean. English was outside, but for a long time, he could just say a few things like, hello, thank you, yeah. bye. Um, and then the first time he started to learn about English, was in school uh, mm -hmm. so English came when he was about three uh, three years old 
And so now his strongest language is English. He started at three and I started thinking, okay, his strongest language is starting to become uh, English when he was about five. Mm -hmm. So it took, it took two years, but yeah. he speaks much better English. And so the way we organize it is that I always speak French. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife speaks French to me, but Korean to the children. Mm -hmm. and they speak back to us in our language but between them it's mainly English uh, but depending on their mood or what they're playing at it can become French or Korean that's so cute uh, so for example like I, I think if they play things that we play they play just with me for example mm -hmm. they tend to do it in French because I guess they have this vocabulary yeah, um, they're mimicking they... what you like. You know, whatever you've said during the game, they're gonna mimic what they've heard. Yeah, and for Korean, it's when they pretend to like pretend play robots, etc. Because mm -hmm. they watch a lot of cartoons with robots in Korean, uh, so there is that. It's so um, funny you can see the influence. Like, oh yeah, I can tell that they're thinking about this thing because they're using this yeah. language. It's that's so funny. It's so telling when they have these different kind of spheres, these different domains that. Korean is in this part of whatever we're doing during the day and French is during this part and English is what they're hearing at school. So if it's a game they heard about at school or a story they read at school, you know, it's it's just yeah. so fascinating. So there, there, yeah, there are lots of things that they tell me in English as well. So for example, when they talk to me about what they've learned in school, it starts mm -hmm. obviously in English because they don't have the words in French. Right. And, and then I, I try to, in the conversation to include the French words. Mm -hmm. so that they know how to say it in French. But I don't do it systematically. I would say it's just like when it's natural. Mm -hmm. but when I want to say it, and it's more natural for me to say the French word, I say it in French. And I'm sure with time, they'll learn it. The more that we speak in that minority language, it's just going to help yeah. build the vocabulary and make those connections to all the words. Um, how is it going with your son? So you were saying strongest language is English is that for both so yeah for both and so my elder started school when he was three mm -hmm. and by the time he was five it became his strongest language my youngest started school at about two or nursery at two mm -hmm. uh, and so he would have English much more frequently in his uh, environment uh, at a younger age and by three English was uh, his strongest language wow. and I, I don't know if you remember but I did a short interview with him yes I did and, it was so great and, and he he before that he thought that English was the first language he spoke mm -hmm. and he learned French and Korean afterwards but I told him no, no no you spoke first Korean and then you had French, French. and then you had English yeah uh, his because, shock what yeah <laughs> Because English is so much uh, so e so much easier for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He assumed it was his first language. Mm -hmm. It's just uh, that interview was so telling because that happens with adults later on. You know, like a lot of people with heritage languages that don't use them or speak them anymore. There's a native language that's different than the dominant language, and we understand yeah. this because we're adults. But your little yeah. five-year-old is like <laughs> wrapping his head around this really complex idea. Like, wait, what? My strong language is not my native language? Like, that doesn't make sense, you know? 
I wonder if his, you know, around school is, are there other students that are in his classes or in your other son's classes being raised bilingually or is he surrounded mostly by just English speakers from so, English parents? Yeah, we have, so in the area we are, it's quite multicultural. Um, so there are loads of children who are in uh, either uh, with parents who are both um, foreigners or mixed couples. Mm -hmm. And in many, so many of their friends speak another language at home and English in school. Mm -hmm. But so for them, for a long time, English was the children's language. Mm -hmm. And with adults, you would speak another language, or parents, you would speak another language. That's so and I remember oh. when we, my eldest was three, that's when he actually realized that other children could speak other languages. So we went to Korea ah. and we're in a soft play area. Mm -hmm. And like they were, you know, the plastic bones and someone did something to him. And I said, but tell him, I, I, I didn't know how to say it in Korean. So I said, tell him this. And he, he started to say it in English. I said, no, 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 in, in Korean. Korean. And but he was like, ah, what? No, I can't say that in Korean. He's not going to understand. <laughs> yeah. And then little by little, uh, so during these holidays, he understood that children spoke also Korean uh, because he also met his cousin. Oh, he met, he saw them before, but he never really played with them before with, with mm. his cousins. And they spoke Korean, just Korean. So like, during, so when he was three, that's really when he started to understand that depending on where you are, children speak different languages. And that's great. I think, so one thing that we really focused on when we were choosing our children's school mm -hmm. was to have a, a good uh, variety of mm -hmm. origins uh, in the school because like being Asian, you look different. So I didn't want them to feel different. Um, yeah, and be isolated, so, be the only ones yeah. that look. <laughs> and in their school, so especially my eldest, there is no majority. In his class, it's a That's bit great. of this nationality, a bit of this nationality, etc. Uh, it's all very mixed. And I think what helps as well with us raising our children multilingual, mm -hmm. uh, there is the fact that even if between them they speak English, with their parents, every child speaks their own language. So it's normal for them to have a language at home with the parents, the family, mm -hmm. and another language in school. Um, so we haven't had that questions at all. That's great. And yeah, I can hear that there are loads of families where the child refuses to speak mm -hmm. for different reasons. At least up to now, we haven't had that. Um, yeah, but I think, so we are quite fortunate in the fact that around us, it's quite normal to be multicultural. Hey, multilingual is normal, as yeah. Thomas Bach would say. Yes, we want to promote that. That's wonderful. And I'm glad to hear that because I know there's definitely sections of every country where it's, you know, just a bit more everybody's the same. And then obviously, you know, big cities and places where you, you can go and find more multinational, multicultural. For example, when I grew up, so in primary school, I went to normal primary school, mm -hmm. uh, so the local one. and. I was the only Asian, like with my brother, we were the only Asian in the whole school. Wow. Yeah, so you <laughs> and, know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so I, but I think I was brought up in a way 
where I, sh I didn't care about being different. And I, I had it more as a, I was quite proud of being different. I was trying to be different from others. Uh, and so looking different wasn't a problem. I got some racist comments from some children, mm. but like, I had my friends as well. So I didn't. That's a really important, important thing. Probably you like me, because we're teachers, we see how it is with teenagers and mm. how they can, like, they want to be part of a group or they can differentiate themselves from others. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot to do with how others perceive us. And so I, I really want my sons to grow up thinking that they don't have to be part of a group, like, really strongly they have to be their own and mm -hmm. they'll be like similar to other people different to other people and it's all okay yeah yeah you can choose to be a part of a group but you don't have to be you can yeah. change yeah nothing is set in stone i think that's that's a great lesson to teach them um so i wanted to make sure we talk about teaching your kids to read because i know that's a big part of what you do and yeah. you have multiple writing systems so french and english have the latin alphabet but you're also your sons are exposed to korean which yeah. is a different the hangul it's a different alphabet than um and then you have japanese which is three writing systems so how how are you guys attacking learning to read and teaching so, your kids to read and write first so I, I want to say it was really important for me that they would be able to read and write in all their languages mm -hmm. because I personally suffered a lot from not being able to read well in Japanese. Not suffered like too much, but like more psychologically. Uh, when I was in secondary school and high school, I was in the international school. Mm -hmm. And so the, the reading and writing was mostly in books in school. And I wasn't putting much effort. So again, it's my fault. <laughs> but uh, because I was thinking like, I'm never going to live uh, abroad. I'm always going to be living in France. So, okay, it's good to speak other languages. I can watch cartoons, etc., in Japanese. But really, why do I really need to read and write? And to me, it came back as like, because I'm told I have to. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't self-motivated. So I really did the minimum uh, in Japanese. <laughs> Uh, throughout my time in secondary school and high school. Mm -hmm. So I would do enough to pass the exams, but not more. And I was really studying like how to read and write just because I had to do it for the exams. And, and then, so it caused the, the, the problem of even me questioning if I, not if I was really Japanese or not, but if I could say that I was fluent in Japanese, for example. So right. I would say, um, so for a long time, I would say, yeah, I'm fluent in French and Japanese. Uh, and, but in secondary school, I would still be fluent, like speaking wise, mm -hmm. but reading and writing, I was a bit ashamed when I was asked to read in class because I would stop really often. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it put me down a bit. And also the fact that I couldn't really read uh, novels in Japanese so there were some that looked really interesting and I would think okay I'm going to read this and I would start reading and the first line would stop like three times trying to work out what this Chinese character was 
and so I never finished a novel in Japanese. I would read some uh, comic books mm -hmm. uh, because there are some something called furigana. It's just okay. so uh, in Japanese there is hiragana, katakana, and kanji, mm -hmm. and these two are like just syllables. So you have like, forty-seven characters, mm -hmm. but the kanji, the Chinese characters, still like two thousand. Yeah, so many. So, and they're so much more complex. Hiragana, katakana are pretty simple, a few lines, but it's mm. not, you know, people who've seen, you know, everybody's seen what Chinese looks like. It's much more intricate. Yeah. So in the comic books, they would write next to the kanji uh, in hiragana oh. or katakana how to read it. So I could yes. read that. So but what are those called? I've seen those when I was doing some Japanese. Uh, oh, you did Ooh. Japanese as well? A, a little, just a little bit, but I've seen oh, wow. when, they, when they give you what it should sound like. What yeah, are those called? Furigana. Okay, Furigana. I didn't know what the name of that was, but that is super helpful. Yeah, it's great. I would read comic books, but I would always think to myself that comic books are like easy; it's for children. But I'm not able to read this, and so in terms of confidence, it impacted me a bit. It's not like it was too much, and I'm I'm fine, mm. but it weighed a bit on me, and. I can see that limiting me in lots of ways because I couldn't read. And I remember like once I was in Japan traveling on my own mm -hmm. and I had a, a ticket. And even when I wanted to buy a ticket to go to somewhere, uh, I was asking at the, at the counter, I'd like to go there, but I'm not sure if I have the right ticket. And <laughs> the, the man told me, yeah, but it's written on your ticket. And I said, yeah, but I can't read. But because when I speak in Japanese, I have a Japanese accent. Yeah. They didn't understand why I couldn't read. And you look and, Japanese. If I yeah. ask, if I ask, I don't understand this. And you know, even if I spoke Japanese, they'd be like, Yeah, of course you don't read Japanese. Look at you. But maybe with <laughs> yeah. you, they're like, You look Japanese, you're speaking perfect Japanese. What's wrong with so, you? <laughs> so I had to explain I'm French. I I just I'm half French, half Japanese, but I, I live in France and I don't really read Japanese. And then they would be like, oh, but you speak so well Japanese. And yeah. they would be really helpful. Uh, but yeah, so there have been some situations like that uh, mm. where I can see that not being able to read or write properly Japanese is a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And for my sons, I thought, so Korean is different, but there were just a certain number of uh, characters. And even if you don't know the word, you can read it. In Japanese, yeah. for the kanji, you have to be able to read them. Uh, and if I can read them, maybe I know, okay, it's this word. So it's the other way around. I was going to ask about that when we talked about having the kanji, um, yeah. you know, kind of transliterated into hiragana. So when you were reading and you saw that how it was supposed to be said, were you able to understand that then by the context of what the rest of the comic was saying? So, it's just it's so it's so hard for me to wrap my head around like having a character but you don't know how to read it i feel like that's just so hard that's such a hard way to make language work because yeah like korean you can just pronounce it and hiragana katakana you can just pronounce it how does it's just i i want to know more about kanji because it's i've never studied uh chinese uh, i've only done a very small bits of japanese um, and it was more to speak it when we went there uh, with my school. So, yeah, I, I only got to hiragana katakana. I never looked at kanji. Uh, so, <laughs> I just can't, I can't wrap my head around like, and you speak Japanese. So when you hear 
then you understand it. So I was, when you see it written out in, in Hiragana, you understand it. Yeah. It's so, it's just so fascinating. So (laughs) I guess it's like you, if I I present you a character and I say, this means uh, the earth and you understand the word earth because I'm saying it to you. But when you look at it, you don't understand what it means. So it's the same. I would look at it, not understand what it meant. But if I, I was told, or if I could read next to it, uh, what it was, how it was pronounced, I would understand it. Mm. So there were also words I, I didn't understand. Like when I started to read uh, uh, the comic um, Detective Conan, mm-hmm. uh, there were loads of vocabulary about murder and weapons and different ways of killing people. Jeez. And I didn't know any of that because that's not the kind of vocabulary you grow up with. No, hopefully um, not. <laughs> so that kind of specific vocabulary, I learned it with this um, comic book. Mm-hmm. And so there were words I didn't know uh, just because I didn't encounter them before. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Wow. It's just... It just seems so complicated. <laughs> and yeah, so for my sons, it was really important that they wouldn't be in that kind of position. And I thought with Korean, it's quite easy because they can still read. So as long as they know the word, they mm-hmm. can decipher the word, they would be able to understand it. Right. Uh, and I really wanted to bring them to that level. So uh, yeah, I, I so I tried first when my eldest was five years old, when we went to Korea, I thought that's the perfect moment to start. Mm-hmm. Everything is in Korean around. Uh, they won't question it. And because I thought they would like question it. But then, so we I introduced it with games, uh, mm-hmm. doing mimes, et cetera, to represent the, the characters. And they liked it. Like my, my youngest even liked it better mm-hmm. uh, because he could move around and make strange noises, et cetera. Uh, but it didn't go up to the point where they would want to read uh, because at that time like we still read in French or English or Korean mm-hmm. and I think they didn't really see the need to be able to read so I left it and mm-hmm. a year later uh, around the time where the pandemic started uh, I noticed that my elders wanted to be able to read in French as well Mm-hmm. and that's where it started so I started to teach him French um, then I went on to Korean a bit later mm-hmm. and yeah and so I gave them the basics and now they go to a Korean school uh, oh, so Saturday school mm-hmm. so they can they can practice there as well and how yeah. much Korean do you speak because we haven't touched on that very little okay uh, <laughs> But you know all the, the letters you can... Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So in terms of reading and writing, that's fine. I can't read currently. I'm still deciphering. Yeah. Uh, for example, yesterday, my son had to... So for one of the homework he had from the Saturday school was to read uh, a dialogue or something. And he can decipher the characters quicker than me now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. But then you're like, man, they already speak better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel but that it's okay like the, the aim is for them to be able to read so exactly I'm happy yeah no that's great yeah. that's success they'll be teaching yeah. you Korean <laughs> yeah and yeah they, they translate for me as well sometimes so I was trying to to read one of the sentences 
and it was talking about what is there in your bag? There is this and that and that. And I was trying to, so I was reading it and asking my son, is that is that a, a book? Is that a, a rubber, etc.? And he would mm -hmm. say yes or no. And uh, an eraser. Really we don't say yeah. rubber. Uh, oh yeah, rubber eraser. is a condom for us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for I correcting. Think. Wait, or is it? Yeah, I think so. My dad always uh, joked about that because from South Africa they use British English, and he asked someone for a rubber in school once, and they laughed at him, like in he was in college, and they were like, "Why do you need that right now?" Good to know. Good to know. And so tell us what has become of this this project that started a year ago, teaching your eldest to read. So because when I'm in school, I teach with games. I can see how it engages my students. Mm -hmm. I just thought about the same thing, but adapted to my sons who are not learning a foreign language, but who are learning a home language mm -hmm. to adapt the different kinds of difficulties they would be. Uh, but I mainly taught them to read through games. Uh, and so then I started to think as well that I was able to do that because I'm a, I'm a teacher and I have the experience of being a, uh, of growing up uh, bilingual mm -hmm. and struggling with reading and writing. So all of this combined and I thought maybe like there would be other people who'd be struggling with the same things. Mm -hmm. but not necessarily having the, the experience of being bilingual themselves or not knowing how to teach, uh, how to read and write. So mm -hmm. I decided to write a, a book uh, where I, I put a lot of ideas of games, but also talking about the, the difference between learning to read in the majority language and learning to read in the home language. Something I could hand to every parent to say, so you can use this and mm -hmm. and that it would help you to teach your child to to read and write. That's great. So I'm about two weeks away from publishing it now. Yay, and... that's so exciting. And just based on all of your knowledge of different uh, different languages, but also languages with different alphabets, how did you include or did you include anything for those parents that have two different alphabet yeah. systems. Yeah, I really wanted to make it something for like everyone, because I know that some languages, for some languages, there are loads of resources, others, there's very few. So I also wanted to give a chance for the parents who would know how to do it, uh, to create their own resources. Uh, so I, I included the four languages I speak or that are, mm -hmm. where there is a, a big difference. So. French, English, Japanese, and Korean. Mm -hmm. uh, and for some activities, I would explain uh, the activity and say, if you have a writing system that's, uh, uh, for example, syllabic, syllabic <laughs> you could do it that way. If it's uh, like Chinese characters, you could do it that way. Mm -hmm. And I really tried to explain the, the aim of the activity. So not just print the activity like, you can do this, but why you can do this and what it will help your child to improve on. Right. Uh, because sometimes we can take an activity thinking, okay, that's going to be great, but we haven't thought about the fact that they don't know this, so it wouldn't work, or it would be too easy. Or So really try to explain my teaching thought process mm -hmm. and put it in the book so that parents could read and think, okay, if I do this, I'll be able to teach that to my child. Uh, if I'm actually working on this, uh, maybe this activity is better. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So trying to give the thinking process with the activity so they can really adapt it to, to whatever they want to do. Yeah, that makes sense that parents kind of just teaching them how to adapt it. Because, you know, obviously you, we can't speak every language. We don't know how it's going to work in, you know, this, this language, this language with this alphabet. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a really important point that I didn't even think when you said syllabic. So just the fact that some alphabets like, you know, English and French are a, just a letter, you know, it's yeah. just the one sound. Whereas hiragana, katakana are the two sounds. It's a consonant vowel. You know, I think that's such an important, I just didn't even think of that. Like, of course, it's not about the letter. It's about the sound. It's about yeah. what we're saying. You know, it's not just about the writing system. Of course it is. It's about making shapes and things like that. But there's so much that goes into writing, which is what makes it, you know, so much harder yeah. to teach than speaking. You know, it's do the letters connect like Arabic? Do they look different yeah, depending on their placement? And, um, yeah. Korean, it depends what part of the, you know, the, there's the little box that can fit yeah. four characters. So is it on the top? Is it on the bottom? Is it next to another one? Um, yeah. There's so much that goes into teaching kids how to read and tend to write eventually, you know, how to decipher how that works. So I think it's yeah. really great that you took on that project and that you're going to help parents because it is, it's kind of a, it's a daunting task. And, I, you know, I'm coming from a teacher's perspective. It's daunting to me as someone with a master's in education. Um, I think parents without teaching experience, it would be even more daunting. And I can see why parents just want to let the school teach majority yeah. language and just be done with it. You know, I don't have time for this. I don't want to do this. So I think that the fact that you're making it a game, you're making it something fun because yeah. hopefully the hours you are spending with your kid after school um, that when kids are back full time, hopefully those will be fun times. You know, we don't want to yeah. sit down and say, do this notebook, you know, do this activity. Yeah. We want to play a game. We want to do something fun. And I know one of the activities that I saw you post about was um, you had written sentences and they had to like do a treasure hunt around the house and they would uh, yeah. find the next clue. And I just love that idea. Um, I think that's such a, a fun activity. So I think that parents can get so much from this book. And even if your baby is not born yet, but you're pregnant or something, I think you should definitely, it's never too early to think about these things. So like you yeah. said, you know, your kids were already born and you didn't even think about how to raise bilingual kids. It's not, it's never too early. It's never too late. As we can see, yeah. you're doing a fantastic job, even though you didn't think about it earlier. I just think it's such an important topic. And so many of yeah. us can benefit from just having more ideas, having more games. That's half the battle is thinking like, oh, what can I do with these kids, you know? rather than just sit them in front of the tv and say okay watch a cartoon in this language that's that's good for sometimes but it's also we want to balance it with other yeah activities and that's a big thing as well i wanted to to put in this book is so when i started to teach french to my eldest mm -hmm. i did it with games but it was still quite formal i would say uh, and he so i would see that he didn't want a teacher he wanted a dad yeah. so he wanted me to be his dad so maybe in school he would listen to her to his teacher no problem but at mm -hmm. home like he doesn't want me to be uh, uh, another teacher teaching him other things and also because i i didn't spend much time with them in the during the week i would mm -hmm. have just a few hours and on the weekend that's the time we would spend together it was quite precious time and i didn't want to like to waste this time uh, with frustration or 
having to do something. Yeah. So I, I really thought about how can I include literacy into uh, the games we do already. Right. And that's also what I try to do in school when, with my students. So try to include some, some games in the, or try to get them to use the language because they want to. Mm -hmm. uh, so for example, like in, when they're in year seven, when they start, mm -hmm. I, I start straight away, like all in Spanish or in French, but I teach them how to say the rules of the classroom in, in that language or okay. how to say... Um, Puedo because... ir al baño. <laughs> that was yeah, always the, the classic. <laughs> yeah, but those are important. I, yeah, it's really like interaction language, and when they they are able to do that, they feel empowered, and that's why they want to talk. Yeah. And so I try to do the same with my children. So finding why they would want to write, or what would justify them writing or reading. Right. Uh, and so that would just be the the way to get to the fun part. So the game would be fun. But just to play this game, you have to read a bit or to write a bit. Yeah, you created a need, which is such an important part of raising bilingual kids, because if they don't feel a need for the, the other language, then it's it's going to be really hard to like drag them <laughs> to do it. There has to be an internal desire that they want to use this language. So I think that's yeah. such a great thing that you're doing. And I really can't wait to get my hands on that book because <laughs> my son is just like right at that age. He's almost four. I feel like okay, I just yeah. it's coming out perfect timing for me to like to take it in and read it and be ready to play <laughs> and introduce all his well luckily they're all the same alphabet so I have a little advantage there but then it's kind of confusing like I'm sure you realize with French and and English a bit like that they don't always pronounce the same so like yeah. ch in English is ch but it's sh in French so you know yeah. it doesn't always make it completely uh for, pa for painless this, <laughs> for this I think we can also leverage the fact that they know the words in, in the language. Right. So for example, when they, there is, I don't know, the story of a, of a cat mm -hmm. and it's written chat, but like, if you read it in English, but they know it's not chat, it's sha. Mm -hmm. And so then you can explain, okay, you don't read the last letter or this, yeah. In English, you said ch, but what do you think it's, uh, it is in French? And then they would say, okay, it's ch. And yeah. so if they already have, if they already learned to read and write in English, for example, mm -hmm. they understand that you can combine letters to make a sound, etc. So you don't need to teach it. Mm -hmm. And you just need to say, this is called differently. And I think for bilingual and multilingual children, it's easy to understand that one thing can have two names right uh, so one in each language so it's not so much of a barrier i think yeah, that's important though what you said that they have that strong structure already in like one language yeah. so if they already understand how reading writing works in one it's going to be so much easier and this is the you know the research has shown this as well that it's just much easier when kids have a strong basis in one language to teach them yeah. the second one there are unfortunately cases of children that never learned to read and write, you know, maybe yeah. refugees, things like that. And then it's so much harder when we're trying to teach them their second language to read and write because they never learned it in their first language. So that having literacy is just, it's, um, it's going to, it's a stepping stone that's going to help them with their, yeah. you know, further progress in literacy in another language. So that's such an important point. Yeah. All right. Any uh, tips or um, 
anything like obviously this this is a resource but any other resources that you would like to share with bilingual parents multilingual parents what would you suggest that they do so for resources i haven't used any formal resource uh, as like textbook or anything because as i said before i i didn't want to leave the the literacy in textbooks mm -hmm. i wanted to make it part of like their normal lives uh, but for i know for for example for reading and writing there is this book which is je suis en cp mm. which is actually quite good it's like little stories uh about like children going to school and it's a it's a whole year Mm -hmm. And for each month, there is a small story. Oh, and I like it. at the beginning of the year, in September, so it's when they go to school and the story is quite short. But mm -hmm. when you get to like June, July, it's a lot longer. And it's just to map it to the progress of the child. Yeah. Uh, so that's like, Je suis en CP. You can, so it's one big book. Mm -hmm. And then when they get to CE1, which is the second year in primary school, mm -hmm. there's a one per Per, like one per month but it's a lot longer it's a lot uh, longer story yeah and there are games as well at the end so that's what that was quite good mm -hmm. and another thing so they did something really good as well so the the people who did that it's what's the author's name magdalena is the, mm -hmm. the author's name and so she created as well a block of games you know with like spot the differences and things yeah. like that uh and I think that's also something really good that parents can use if they want to practice literacy. So they want the children to read uh, because they have a game. So for example, they have to spot the difference, differences or they have to go from one side to the other uh, by stepping on these stones or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Chinese to read the instruction, uh, which is like very short, like maybe a line or two, mm -hmm. to be able to do the activity. So the the Again, it's like reading a bit to get to the fun. So right. blocks of games are great. And one thing, so you probably, I don't know if you know this author, but uh, Dave Pilkey, he's like, he did this co uh, comic book called Dogman. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very silly stories Like my sons love it. And apparently every child that reads it, love it. Yeah. So, this is good. And so my sons really, really loved it. I bought the French version, Super oh, Chien. Super Chien. And okay. Dogman, Super a, Chien. It's a different story. Like it's it's a different book, mm -hmm. but they know the characters, but it's in French. And I yeah. thought at the beginning that they wouldn't really want to read it because it was more difficult, but they love it so much that they wanted to read it. And like, I remember when they got the first one, uh, my elder spent the whole afternoon reading this uh, oh. because he really wanted to understand what was funny. Yeah. Uh, so following recently, their interest. Yeah. Anything they love, they will want to make the effort to get to what what they love. Mm -hmm. And so we bought this in, uh, no, we were given this story in Korean. So it's from oh, the tell. same author, yeah. uh, but it's a, it's a mouse and a big robot. And, <laughs> but it's the same universe that same kind of fun things a bit a bit silly uh stories but mm -hmm. so they they can't really read all of this now but they can they try to read here and there some some words to work out the the story from the the pictures 
Yeah. And your uh, wife can sit with them still. They're still little enough to sit with and read stories yeah. too. So but these, these, funnily enough, maybe because it's comics, they like they sit on their own. But when we when it's bedtime, they take other like full um, length, like longer stories. Yeah. So when yeah. my wife reads in Korean, it's not these comics, it's like a longer story. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so no particular textbook or anything, but I would say if you find something that your child likes, you can just um, provide more it. resources like that. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that I think we did that really helped with reading and writing was that we had one routine, which was reading them a story every night. And this uh, makes them like see the fun of reading. Yeah. So I think that helped a lot as well. Yeah, I've heard that tip a lot, like read in front of your kids your, yourself, um, read to them all the time, you know, never yeah. refuse to read them a story, just kind of making reading a normal, just have yeah. books out there that they can access, don't put them up high on yeah. shelves. There's so many great tips um, for literacy. Before we end, I want to ask, I ask every guest to teach us uh, a word or phrase in one or more of their languages. So I'll let you pick which languages, but I would love to hear I would love to hear Japanese just because I have more French speakers on the show, but okay. definitely I'd like to hear um, French as well. So if you have uh, different, it can be different phrases, but something in Japanese, something in French. Maybe something really easy that anyone can learn very quickly, but that can be really helpful. And that's something that my dad told my friends when they came for my birthday when I was like little. Okay. And he said, oh, yeah, there are two words you need to know in Japanese. It's dozo, domo. Dozo is uh, here you go. Mm -hmm. Domo is thank you. And I think it's it's true that it's important because that's when you start to have interaction with people. So knowing this can go a long way. Yes, for sure. So Dozo. domo is is that like thanks? Because I've always yeah, learned arigato, arigato gozaimasu for yeah. like thank you, more polite. Yeah, thank it's you. less so it's less formal mm -hmm. to say domo, but it's it's fine as well. And this was your friends, so of course they could use domo. And it's yeah. fine to your father to say domo? Uh, no, I don't think it's natural to say it. But if someone gives me something like another adult, mm -hmm. and I say domo, that's fine, yeah. Right, but kid to, to adult, would they maybe say arigato? Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out the honorifics. Um, yeah. Okay, those are really great for, for Japanese. I always, um, for some reason, the phrase that always sticks with me is oishi, oishi desu. Oh, yeah. um, so whenever we're eating, sometimes I'll just, my kids, I'll say like oishi, and they, they like to pronounce that. Um, and sushi, everybody oh, knows yeah. sushi. <laughs> so. in, in Korean, what helped me a lot, so whenever I go to Korea, hmm. I don't know many words, but I try to make gestures and be understood. So two words that help me is... Uh, so ego, ego, so this. This. <laughs> so yeah. for example, I say ego plus a verb like ego juseyo. Ego juseyo. Uh, I'd like this, please. <laughs> Give yeah. me this, please. Yeah. That's so and useful. So, en français, no, yeah. quelque chose. En français, uh, oui. qu'est-ce qui peut être utile? Qu'est-ce que tu dis souvent à, à tes enfants? Est-ce qu'il y a une phrase ou quelque chose? OK, on va dire... Uh... <laughs> Attends une minute. Ouais, bah ouais. Attends une minute. So wait mm -hmm. a minute. Mm -hmm. Ou attendez, uh, si les deux arrivent. Yeah, attendez, yeah. 
Okay, c'est bien. Attendez, so wait, that's a good one. That is the first expression my mom learned when she went to Israel. Rega ah. means wait. <laughs> that's just a really useful phrase because people were yelling at her. Wait, wait, wait. Ah. And she was like, what are they yelling? She didn't know Hebrew. And she was like, what? <laughs> and they kept like putting their hand up like, no, 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 no. So ah. yeah, wait is a very good phrase. I've been using that one with my kids a lot too. <laughs> They've learned yeah, they attends, always want everything like straight away. So attends, attends. Yeah, attends, attends une minute. Attends une seconde, attends. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, those are really useful phrases. I really appreciate those. Merci beaucoup. Arigato. Arigato gozaimasu. I don't know how formal I need to be. <laughs> Wonderful. It was so great to speak with you and finally connect face-to-face -face versus just yeah. on the web and on Instagram. So where can we find you if listeners want to know more about you and they want to find the book? I will put everything, I'll put all the links I can into the show notes, but tell us. So uh, on Instagram, that's where I share the most my ideas and reflections about raising multilingual children mm -hmm. and reading and writing. Uh, so that's multilingual underscore dad. So multilingual dad. And uh, my book is going to be available on Amazon. And so I guess any Amazon website. Right. Uh, and you and, will be posting about it on Instagram. Yeah. Right. So the release day is going to be on the 1st of May. It's coming up. So, yeah, I'm trying to build the website at the moment, but I haven't started yet. It's okay. a bit frightening me. Yeah, so, you'll do it. It'll be great. Yeah. Well, we will definitely be looking out for your book. And I hope that you, you know, if parents have any questions, they can talk to you. They can come uh, find me and ask me you know, how to get in touch with you or have they have any questions we are both available to talk about it yeah. and we wish everybody all the best with raising their kids to, to read write speak uh more than one language so we are with you on this journey right <laughs> it's not over <laughs> yeah so thank you so much for, for being a guest on the podcast it was really great to speak with you today thank you for inviting me thank you for your time and we will be in touch very soon So that's all for my interview with Yoshito, but I hope you guys are just as excited as I am for the release of his new book. So if you're not already following him on Instagram, you can check the show notes for the spelling or look him up at multilingual underscore dad on Instagram. And there you'll get all the information and the newest releases and know what's happening and when you can purchase the book. So please go follow him there and let me know if you have any questions or comments. And as always, please leave a rating and review. That would be so much appreciated if you are enjoying this podcast. And until next time, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.